about three weeks ago, we started talking about standing, how uh, Ephesians 6 talks about stand in the day of evil. So that was what we talked about three or four weeks ago. Then from standing, we moved to um, the sound of marching on the top of the trees, which is from Second Samuel. And uh, our conclusion was that when you stand here on earth, you fuel battles in the heavenlies. And that uh, just as uh, God said to David, when you hear the sound of marching on top of the trees, then I'll tell you to go forward. We talked about that. And so we talked about standing. We talked about the sound of marching and how standing here on earth fuels battles. Today we talk about this whole idea of taking a stance, taking a stance. And if you want to define stance, stance is basically um, the way in which someone stands. It's a deliberate posture. The way in which the way in which someone stands. It's a deliberate po posture. It's a deliberate posture. It's a deliberate posture. So uh, it's one thing to stand, but it also matters how you stand. It matters how you stand. And so everyone has stances. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Hulk Hogan. Oh, you remember him? I mean, Hulk Hogan had this stance. Usain Bolt had this stance. John Travolta had this stance. The Maple Leafs have this stance. It just depends, right? So <laughs> the point is, there are different people have different stances. And the reason you have a stance is it begins to show people the kind of stand you're taking. It's not enough to stand. One must have a posture that begins to betray the intent of your heart in terms of how you stand. And so in the kingdom, our stance must portray three things. One, it should, our stance in the kingdom must portray our ability to steward things well, must portray our ability to advance well, and must portray our ability to be fruitful. That's the kind of stance that we take here on earth. If you are someone who's been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun, then the stance you take on earth, the posture you adopt on earth, the readiness that you display must display these three things. That I am someone who takes a stance that lets the world know that I'm here to steward things on God's behalf. Two, I'm here to advance things on God's behalf. Three, I'm supposed to be someone who bears fruit for God. And it's a posture that takes us back to Genesis 1, 26 to 28, where it says in the Genesis mandate that, listen, I want you to steward, I want you to advance and subdue, and I want you to be fruitful. Those were things that were said to Adam right off the bat. It's a posture that fulfills the Genesis mandate. And if there is one thing common to what God wants us to do here, then it is the ability to be faithful. Our stance has to be faithful. And faithfulness releases tons of things, man. Faithfulness releases joy. Faithfulness releases life. Faithfulness releases trust from God. Faithfulness releases dom domain. Faithfulness releases dominion or rule. 
faithfulness releases these things our stance is one that stewards faithfully our stance is one that advances faithfully our stance is one that bears fruit faithfully and as we go into this further you'll realize why this is so critical to our uh, standing here guys faithfulness increases your joy matthew 25 21 says that because you were faithful he says to the servant enter into my joy faithfulness increases trust in 1st corinthians 4:2 it says that one must prove himself faithful and when he does he wins the trust of god faithfulness releases life revelation 2:10 says that if you are faithful to the end i will give you the crown of life uh, faithfulness increases your domain he says to the servant who uh, traded with five minas and made them 10 minas he says to them listen i'll give you 10 cities that you are charge over faithfulness gives you power over the nations revelations 2:26 if you are faithful to the end i will give you power over nations one of the things that this church just thrives at is power over nations not that we have anything of our own to do but god will give us the nations we'll talk about that some more and it applies to everybody here right eh? the strange thing about any church is what is given to the church actually belongs to its people So if God says I give you nations then it means that listen if you so choose you can have the nations in Vancouver or you can have the nations outside Vancouver because this is the inheritance I'm giving you. We'll talk about that a little later. But the point is guys once we are faithful these are the things that are released to us. My faithful stance will release to me joy which is strength. My faithful stance will release to me life so that I have more time and more vibrance to be faithful. My faithfulness will release to me his trust or approval. My faithfulness will release to me domain over which I have influence. My faithfulness will release to me dominion or the ability to rule and steward things on God's behalf. This is the critical importance of faithfulness in my stance and what are we saying our stance should be our stance should be one that's faithfully stewards that faithfully advances that faithfully bears fruit remember these three things eh critical as a christian there is no question of me not stewarding things well it's it's expected of me that jacob you're my son my son jesus christ towards things well now i expect you to steward things well what i place in your hand steward it well and i'll give you more faithful stewarding second faithful advancement there is nothing called a stagnant christian it is impossible for a christian to stand still he's always advancing any christian who's standing still is a christian who is just on the verge of backsliding you cannot stand still stagnation and christianity don't go hand in hand and so we cannot use our age our jobs our busyness our um, um physical mental emotional financial conditions as an excuse for stagnation none of them stagnate spiritual life and finally there's a faithfulness in bearing fruit as in it's not enough that i'm stewarding things well it's not enough that i'm advancing in the causes and the desi- desires of god i must then show evidence by bearing fruit and it goes back to the genesis mandate Any questions on that before we go on? Uh it's advancing is to take uh territory that is not yours yet but has been given to you. Once you step into that territory, in that territory you must be fruitful. 
So in the Genesis mandate, God says to Adam, listen, I want you to go subdue. But after, I, after you subdue, I want you to replenish the earth and be fruitful. It is not enough to take what God has given you. Now that you have taken what God has given you, it must be fruitful. It must bear the God kind of fruit. And so it all begins with, what do you have in your hand right now, Moses? Or what do you have in your hand right now, woman of Zarephath? What do you have in your hand right now, little boy with five loaves of bread and two fish? What do you have in your hand right now? Show me how you faithfully steward it. We're always asking for more so that we can show God how well we could do if we had more. And God is saying, what do you have in your hand right now? Show me what you got in your hand right now and show me how you can steward it well and see what I'll do with it. Which is great because then no one's exempt. Eh? You don't need to have stuff to show him that you're able. You start with what you have in your hand and you might have very little in your hand right now. So what? Since when did you need 10 loaves of bread and 4 fish? He could have done it with 2 loaves of bread and 1 fish. It just so happened that the kid's mom was generous that afternoon. But the whole question is, what do you have in your hand right now? And then with that, you begin to advance. And once you begin to advance, you have to show fruit. This is our stance. Huh? Standing is one thing. You can just stand. But what kind of posture are you standing in? This must be a posture 24-7. With everything. This doesn't just apply to spiritual life. It applies to every area of life. Every area of life. And age, busyness, jobs, um, your lack or your plenty does not determine this. A guy who has lack can show himself faithful and be put in charge of more than a guy who has plenty. Any questions? And guys, nobody can stop it. Huh? Nobody can stop faithfulness. If you're faithful, let's assume you're faithful and I really don't like you. I'll stop you. I can put a, put a block in your path saying, Wayne's showing himself faithful. I don't like his glasses. I'm not going to allow him any room in this church. Guess what will happen? Either God will give him another church to grow in or he'll remove me. But faithfulness will not be stopped. It is impossible for someone who's faithful not to increase. Impossible. Impossible. God will either plant you elsewhere or he'll remove the one stopping you. That's how certain this thing called faithfulness is. It's a secret to successful Christianity, guys. And it's the hardest thing to do, eh? Because faithfulness means consistency in the things that you're doing when you have very little to start with. Any questions? Any questions? Okay. Guys, the opposite of faithful and good is wicked and slothful. The opposite of faithful and good is wicked and slothful. Because he says, well done, good and faithful servant. But he also says, um, wicked and slothful servant. And uh, um, when you go to Matthew 25, 14 to... 30 you read that parable where it talks about that and here's the thing um, wicked and slothful is someone th this really bothered me eh? wicked and slothful 
is someone who maintains instead of stewarding who maintains instead of stewarding and preserves instead of multiplying and preserves and preserves instead of multiplying or gaining that's what god calls someone who is slothful and wicked he says one who is slothful or wicked maintains he doesn't steward he just maintains what's been given to him who does god call um slothful and wicked he calls a guy who took the um, um bag of gold he had and buried it he maintained it he didn't transact business with it he just maintained it and so he calls the one who maintains and does not steward it he calls him slothful and wicked he calls the one who preserves and does not multiply slothful and wicked scares you because you think that if you maintain and preserve that should be good enough but it ain't because he wants you to multiply anything that's put in your charge and then he also calls wicked and slothful those who have a wrong image of him those who have a wrong image of him because he tells a servant you thought i was a hard master you had a completely twisted uh, image of me wrong image of him and the problem with having a wrong image of god is if you have a wrong image of god you have a distorted identity of yourself you have a distorted identity of yourself because if we are made in the image of god and your image of god is wrong then your identity is distorted if you're made in the image of god and your image of god is wrong then your identity is distorted so one of the things acts 29 should just take to heart or anyone listening to this forget acts 29 one of the things we need to take to heart is that we cannot live life none of us sitting here can live life that preserves or maintains our lives must show gain multiplication stewardship and by stewardship all i mean is if he's put you in charge of something he expects you to be responsible and he expects you to transact with it and increase it and distribute it stewardship takes care of all those things being responsible for what you've been put in charge with being able to multiply it being able to distribute it always for the sake of someone else never for your own sake and so here we have one who is wicked and slothful let's assume god called me wicked and slothful what he would mean is hey jacob you've been maintaining things instead of stewarding it you've been preserving things instead of multiplying it you have a wrong image of me and therefore you have a distorted identity of yourself and none of us can say but i'm old i'm this i'm that i don't have much great start with what you have start with what you have anybody who grows by any other method than faithfulness will one day either collapse under its weight or will be found incapable of handling what has been placed in his hands faithfulness is the only way to handle the things that god places on you because god will always place on you things you can't handle faithfulness is the only way any questions because guys in the kingdom of god you can only steward or multiply by giving your life away 
in the kingdom of God, you can only steward or multiply. This was the, if you thought that was the bad news, here's the bad news. The bad news is if you want to steward things and multiply things in the kingdom of God, you've got to give your life away. So it's not just that God is saying, hey, I want you to steward and multiply. He says, but if you want to steward and multiply, Jacob, it is impossible to do that without giving your life away. But if you want to maintain and preserve, ah, then you can keep your life. John 12, 24, unless a seed falls to the ground, it cannot bear fruit. Conversely, you can maintain and preserve by keeping your life. But if you want to steward and multiply, you have to give your life away. And what do we mean by giving your life away? Giving your reputation away, giving your finances away, giving your security away, giving your uh, pride away, giving uh, all the things that the world asks you to hold on to, you are now willing to lay down. And the moment you decide to lay it down, you find your life multiplying and you find that you don't care much for what you're laying down. It's odd how this works, eh? On one hand, you are laying down the most important things that the world says your life is about. You're laying it down. The more you lay it down, the more it multiplies, but you couldn't care two hoots about the fact that it's multiplying because you're continuously laying it down. This is the only way forward in Christ. Every other way of going forward in Christ is a distortion, is a mixture, is dilution. Challenge me if I'm wrong in this, if what I'm saying is wrong. But there is no other way. My God, how dare we dilute his ways, right? If this is the way he walked, what choice do we have, guys? Any questions? Feel free to ask. Yeah, like let's assume that I'm, I've not been faithful, but you have placed me in charge because, um, because I did you a favor. So you placed me in charge of something big. And now I haven't proven my muscle through faithfulness. I've earned it because you placed it on me. And at some point I won't be able to handle this because everything in God requires an ability that I don't have. And the ability that I don't have can only be developed through faithfulness. I mean, Joshua had absolutely no ability to bring Jericho down. But he had one thing, faithfulness. I will do what you tell me to. I will go around that city seven times. I will just be faithful. Otherwise, he can't bring the city down. David did not have the ability to bring Goliath down. But he had proven himself faithful with the lion and the bear. But Goliath was a whole different ballgame. But he had to prove his faithfulness. He did not have the ability to be a king. He was a shepherd boy who used to sing in the um, um, wilderness. And yet he then had to spend two years running around from Saul and in the process built his leadership, built up men, built up the mighty 30, had people trust him. He took on something he was not able to, but he proved himself faithful through the desert. Time and time again, you take anybody in Hebrews chapter 11 or any person in the Bible that was worth his salt and he always ended up doing something that was beyond him, but he did it because he proved or she proved herself faithful over a period of time. And they were old and young, they were poor and rich, they were able and unable. 
You had 84-year-old, 85-year-old Caleb and you had 80-year-old Barzillai. You had 120-year-old Moses. Because as we get, sorry, go ahead. Please. No, I'm saying that everybody had to prove themselves faithful. For 40 years, Moses had to prove himself faithful. 40 years. Any questions? Okay. So this then raises two questions for us guys. And here are the two questions that we need to deal with. Remember we said that one, we have to steward what we have. Two, we have to advance. You cannot separate this. Please remember, you cannot separate this. There is a tendency in good churches to steward things well. There is a tendency in good churches to advance. But what we require is not just stewarding things well or advancing. It has to be both. I must steward what I presently have. I must advance into what God presently has. I must steward what I presently have. I must advance into what God presently has. And when that happens, then you're fruitful. So here are the two questions we need to ask then. It raises two questions. On one hand, on one hand, what and how am I doing? What and how am I doing with what, with that which I have been given? I have to ask this question, Father, uh, how am I doing and what am I doing with what you've already given me in my hand? How am I doing with that? What and how am I doing with that which you have already given me? How am I doing with that? Am I stewarding it properly? Am I paying it enough at attention? Am I nurturing it? Am I being responsible about it? Am I actually pouring my sweat and blood to make sure that it grows? Am I asking you for how I must deal with cumin and how I must deal with caraway seeds and how I must deal with different things like Isaiah 28 says? Am I finding out how things need to be ground, how things need to be separated am i doing that and if i don't do that and just look at what god has in the future then it ain't christianity so that's the first question the second question is on the other hand am i asking him for my inheritance and what is my inheritance? Psalm 2.8. The nations. This is not specific to pastors. This is specific to every child of God. Every child of God must ask this thing. So on one hand, Father, given where I'm at, given my age, given my job, given where I'm um, 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 living, what do I presently have and how am I stewarding that? How do you think I'm doing with that? And the second thing is, Father, what about the inheritance that you want to give me? And what is the inheritance that you want to give me? Across this room, the inheritance that you receive is the same inheritance that your elder brother received. Nations. Ask of me and I will give you. 
nations as your inheritance, Psalm 2.8. Why is it that we think that that only belongs to a few missionaries, pastors, um, uh, speakers, and not to the rest of us? It was given to all of us. It was given to our elder brother, and we are co-heirs with him. How we go about it may be different, but how could you and I ask for anything less? It's like King Xerxes stretching out his uh, scepter towards Esther and saying to her, ask of me half the kingdom. She doesn't want, she, she didn't ask for half the kingdom. She asked for her people. What are we asking for? We don't want half the kingdom. That's a prosperity gospel. What we are asking is, give me people, O oh God. Give me the people. Give me nations. It's the same thing our elder brother asked for. How we go about it, we can flesh out. But please understand that all of us ask for the same thing. Questions? No questions? Any disagreements? Do you think perhaps that uh, asking for the nations is not your thing? It's something less. But then you must admit that you're asking for something less. If you are to imitate Christ, you have to ask what he asked for. If you are to imitate Christ, you are to ask for what he asked for. And God says to him at his coronation, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Absolutely. Yeah. But ask for the nations. I'm not talking about going somewhere, right? We'll come, not, I can assure you all of us will not go to the nations. It's not the way God works. God doesn't make bricks. He makes stones. They are different. So I'm not talking about all of us going off to different nations. No. But ask him for the nations. At the end of the day, when we talk about nations, we are talking about the thing we sang in that song. Eight billion different, what's that line? Eight billion. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. I love that line. And what's the next line? Every precious one, a child you died to save. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. And these eight billion are spread across nations. And so some of us may not go, some of us may go. But the point is, eight billion different ways that his heart has expressed itself must now be gathered in. And that is your inheritance. That is your inheritance. We are his portion, he is our portion, but this is our inheritance, guys. And, and this is the only thing that the church and Christians are supposed to aim for. Everything else is what has been brought in over the last few hundred years. Guys, and you'll see this pattern throughout the scripture. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul will say, uh, we will uh, confine ourselves to the sphere of service assigned to us. So he'll say that in one breath. And in the next breath, he'll say, but we plan to expand and go beyond our present sphere of activity as your faith grows. Matthew 25, 15, each one was given according to his present ability. Matthew 25, verse 21, I will put you in charge of many things because you have shown yourself faithful. 
1 Corinthians 4.2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove themselves faithful. Joshua 14.10, give me that hill country where the Anak live so that I can go with God and drive them out. The, the point is, each scripture shows that on one hand, God is saying, hey, Jacob, be faithful in what I've given you. Stay within the sphere of uh, influence that I've presently given you. Show yourself faithful in that. And hey, Jacob, while you're being faithful in that, I'm sorry, you've been so faithful, I've got to give you more. So advance into greater territory. It's like two steps at the same time. Eh? You can't but do this. Every morning one should get up and say, Father, I will be faithful in what you have given me. Father, but what have you to add to what you already have given me? Hear that again. This is a daily cry. Father, I will be faithful in what you have given me. Father, what do you want to add to what you have already given me, given that I have been faithful in what you have given me? Oh my God, may age not stop you. May age not stop you. Because I'm telling you something, faithfulness gives you life. I'm talking about real, physical, quickening life. Faithfulness gives you life. Faithfulness gives you joy. And if you have life and joy, it's a potent combo, man. So evaluate your life over the last two years. Evaluate your life over the last two years. 2017, 2018. How did you do over these last two years? Did you preserve and maintain life? Or did you gain and multiply it for the sake of others? Did you preserve and maintain life? Or did you gain and multiply it? Did you steward it well? And if we haven't done well, praise God, we got an opportunity to start today. Did you preserve and maintain life over the last two years? Or did you gain and multiply it for the sake of others? <coughs> Guys, um, this church, God will shut it down if we don't steward in advance. He'll shut it down. If this church ever goes into maintenance mode, he'll shut it down. Because he's put far too much in this for us to go into maintenance or preservation mode. He'll shut it down. And I would rather that he shut it down. Because we have to both steward and advance and be fruitful. And none of us are exempt from this. I love the fact that this applies to all of us. None of us are exempt. You know, today, or actually day before yesterday, Feb 22nd, is the day that Acts 29, this church enters into its 14th year. We were officially uh, um, recognized as a church on Feb 22nd, 2006. We had been around in 2005 or so. Whichever way you cut it, this is, uh, we're at that point in our life where we're entering the 14th year. And I'm not going, I'm not trying to make much out of the 14th year thingy. But the question we need to ask as we go into um, the 14th year of our life is what is our stance? What is our stance? What is our stance? And our stance has to have both this and this. So let's look at how we need to be going into the future.
So here are some things that we can't let go of. Eh? What is our stance? The first stance we have is steward, steward faithfully what has been given. Steward faithfully what has been given. Steward faithfully what has been given. And what have we been given? Here are some of the things that we already know that we have to hold on to. We must live the teachings of Christ and his apostles. Live the teachings of Christ and his apostles. If you want to figure out what the teachings are, 2 Peter 3 verses 1 and 2 will give you an idea where it says, go back to that which the holy prophets had uttered and that Christ had commanded and that was given to you through the apostles. Basically, it's the epistles and the gospels and some of the sayings that prophets of old had spoken of that pointed towards Christ and what he would build here on earth. And what is he building here on earth? The church. The only thing that he's still building here on earth is the church. So the first thing, steward faithfully what has been given. These are some of the things we'll have to steward faithfully. can never back off on this. Live the teachings of Christ and his apostles. Live the teachings of Christ and his apostles. Two, teach the teachings of Christ and his apostles. Teach the teachings of Christ and his apostles. Christ put it this way. Teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you. Matthew 28. So live the teachings of Christ and his apostles. Teach the teachings of Christ and his apostles. Why? So that we may bear accurate witness in a watching world. So that we may bear accurate witness. These are things, guys, if we miss out on, then we've lost what has been gained over the last 13 years. So it's my responsibility and your responsibility as leaders and parts of this church, part of, part of this church that we will continuously learn to live effortlessly the teachings of Christ openly. And we will teach the teachings of Christ anywhere and everywhere we go, be it one person or 20 people or 100 people or 1,000 people. Why? Because we want to cultivate an accurate witness because the world is watching. Three, rally your life and your family around the teaching, around the teaching, so that we can participate in this beautiful thing called the church, which is his temple and his family. Rally your lives around the teaching so we can be the church. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that's required of us as we go forward is not to forget these things that we've established since 2015. That we'll rally our lives. We'll rally our jobs. We'll rally our possessions. We'll rally our uh, monies. We rally as in we bring everything and center it around. Put the focus on the t uh, on the one thing that we are supposed to become here on earth, which is the church, which is the temple and his family, the temple of God and his family. Remember talking about this, right? For those of us who missed out on it, quick diagram that will bring us back to reality and which will shock us and perhaps cause us not to come back here is 
The usual formula is me and my family are at the center. We will occasionally serve the church. Uh, we will use 10% of our monies to um, uh, help God's business. We will um, uh, give some time after our jobs are done uh, to the church and we will perhaps leave some of our possessions uh, for God. Me and my family at the center, we will serve God. We'll give him some time and we serve God by... So that's one picture. That's the usual picture. But here's the real picture. Christ and the church at the center. Me and my family exist for one reason alone, to serve Christ and the church. All my wealth is at his disposal, not just 10%. My job is a method of causing God to enter the world and the world to enter uh, God, and my possessions are also available at his disposal. This is real Christianity. This is diluted Christianity. In diluted Christianity, me and my family are at the center, and we do serve God, and we do give him 10%. And after our jobs are done, we do put in some time and our possessions, we do part with it every now and then. But real Christianity is when Christ in church at the center, me and fam my family exist for one reason alone, to serve him. Our wealth exists for one reason alone, to serve him. Our jobs exist for one reason alone, to serve him. And our possessions exist for one reason alone, to serve him. If you don't believe this, check out Matthew 10 and Luke 14. I'm giving you the good news. Jesus spills it out even uh, uh, more aggressively. This is giving your life away. This is giving a little to the kingdom. Any questions? We've been through this before, so I'm assuming you don't have any questions. You should have asked them two years ago. Guys, when truths are difficult to handle, um, um, don't collide with them and fall down. Bend yourself so that you can carry it and let it work its way through you. Sometimes when truths are ha hard to handle and you collide with it, you're usually broken. Instead of that, when truths are difficult to handle, just bend a little, carry it on your back, work on it, and over a period of time, let it work into you so that you become what it needs you to become. If you try to take it on straight away it sometimes breaks you okay rally your life and your family around this thing called the church and the last one is rally the church around mission rally the church around mission rally the church around mission 
we rally our families and our lives around the church, and then we rally the church around mission. And the moment we rally the church around mission, it means that we begin to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. We begin to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. I don't mind going over this at least 52 times a year because this is the one thing that church has forgotten. Any questions on this? So my responsibility as a pastor is very simple. I must encourage us and model what it is to live the teachings of Christ and his apostles. I must teach the teachings of Christ and his apostles and must practice them myself so that we may bear accurate witness in the community. Third, I must rally my life and my family's life and encourage you to rally your life and your family's life around the teaching so that we can participate in this beautiful thing that Christ has made, which is called the church, which is the temple of God, as in where he dwells, and the family of God, where he is father and we are children. But it is a profitable family business. This is not some family business where profits don't come in. Like I've said before, we have a godfather and he runs a profitable family business. And then we rally the church around God's mission. And what's God's mission? I've come to restore the world. And you are the voice through which I will restore it. So therefore proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. Guys, I don't mind going over this again and again. Because after having gone over this at least a hundred times, we still sometimes struggle with this. Right? So it's worth going over again and again. Any questions on that? Now the second part, this is what we already have learned. So this is what we must nurture, we must steward it. As uh, people come in, we must teach them what we are learning. But now comes the other part. What about the inheritance that God has for us? What about the inheritance that God has for us? That's the second part. How do we advance, how do we advance into what is being given to us. And what are we being given? We are being given the nations. So, we got a very simple mandate, guys. Everybody here has a very simple mandate from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's your mandate. Doesn't matter who you are, the mandate is common. That's the only mandate we have. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the ends of the earth. Everything else we do, your job, your vocation, your salary, your family, everything serves a simple mandate. From Jerusalem to Judea to the Samaria to the ends of the earth. There is no other mandate. If there is another mandate, please raise your hands and let me know. And if it is biblical, I'll wipe this off the board. There is really no other mandate. Acts chapter 1.8. I've sent the Holy Spirit so that you may carry the news from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. So that my glory may cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Acts 15, verse 15 and 16. Rebuild the temple, tabernacle of David so that the Gentiles may seek my name right to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, 20. Go preach the gospel to all nations. At the end of the day, this is your mandate. Whoever you are, whatever you do, serves this purpose. 
it must grab our insights. Eh? I have the advantage of being a pastor, so it grabs my insights because that seems to be one of the main things I'm doing. For you, it might be a little more difficult to gra grab it just because there are 20 other things that you do besides what I'm doing. Acts 1.8, Psalm 2.8, Acts 15.17, Matthew 28.20. 20. Acts 1.8, Acts 15.17, Psalm 2.8, Matthew 28.20. 20. So one of the questions that we should ask is, what is the apostolic map that has been given to this church? Guys, think of it this way. If you were in Israel and you were one of the tribes, and so there was this famous Israelite tribe called the Bergmans, and another famous uh, Israelite tribe called the Callahans. And so when they come into the land, God says, Callahans, you shall get this part of land. And then the Callahans had their clan, and so each clan got a certain amount of land. The same with Bergmans. The Bergmans would get a piece of land and they would have to cultivate their own little plots. In the same way, what is the apostolic map that has been given to this church? Because once we have a look at it, you can decide which part of the land God wants you to have and which part of the land you would desire to have. God likes both. Eh? He likes to give you and he also asks you, what do you want? With Caleb, it was Caleb going and asking Moses, hey Moses, can I have that? That was not allotted to him, but he was asking for that. He also got land allotted to him. God does it two ways. Jacob, what do you want? I'll give you that. And Jacob, by the way, I also have something for you. You get both. You get what you want and you also get what he is giving. And if you have an idea of what this church has been given, then I would suggest to you that you can begin to pick. Look at the map that is before us. Ryan, you want to go to the next slide? Guys, what's your pick here? What do you want? Do you want the households in Vancouver? Do you want Delta? Do you want Maple Ridge? Do you want Abu Dhabi? Or do you want Cardiff? Do you want India? Do you want Hong Kong? Do you want New Zealand? Do you want Sao Paulo? Do you want South Africa? Do you want Lithuania? Do you want Hanoi? Do you want Izmir? Do you want Tokyo, Jodhpur, Cairo, Naples, and New York? The ones in italics are the ones that are already done, so you can't have them. The one in white is just to show you the countries that are at work in these places. The churches we planted in Vancouver, in Bahrain, in India, and UK now service these different cities. Some of them we haven't gone to yet. Naples hasn't been gone to. Cairo hasn't been gone to. Izmir hasn't been gone to. Lithuania hasn't been gone to. Hong Kong hasn't been gone to. The rest of the places we've already gone to. Which do you want? I mean, don't think that this church is um, capable of doing this. Revelations 3.8. I see that you have little strength, but behold, I place before you an open door. We must worship God that he thinks that he can take a bunch of nobodies like you and me and send us into these different places because we don't have the resources for it. We don't have the manpower for it. We don't have the smarts for it. We don't have the skill for it. But we got this great, big, wonderful God. And he's saying, I'm giving you a map what do you want? Where, what would you like from this besides the fact that I'm going to allot stuff to you?
blows my mind when I write it down and think to myself, but Father, we don't have the money for it. Yeah, I know. Father, we don't have the manpower for it. Yeah, I know. Father, we don't know what to do there. Yeah, I know. What does he want from us? Faithfulness in stewarding, faithfulness in advancing. And if we do, he'll make us fruitful. Some of us may not go to these places. There are different ways this can be supported. I'm not talking about finances, guys. Finances are the least of the problem, eh? Finances have never been the problem in mission. Any questions before we conclude? Some of us may have an outward mobile call where the intent is go to different nations. Some of us are meant to establish things locally. Praise God that we have both in this church. Some of us are meant to establish things in the households that are in Vancouver, in the church that will be starting in Delta, in the church that will be starting in two weeks in Maple Ridge. We have the ability to build things here. What about this uh, meeting here that we have here at Pilgrim? People are needed to locally establish things because we have to steward what we already have been given. But then there'll be some that have outward mobility where some of us will actually go places. Where at the drop of a hat, you have the ability to say, okay, I'm coming. And money is never the problem. I, I don't mean it. Um, I, I, I'm not just shrugging it off and saying money is not the problem. I realize everything needs money to run, but money has never been the problem. I pray God that you take time to figure out where you want to go if you have a desire to go. But once you have desired that you want to go to one of these fields that have been given to Acts 29, then you need to muscle up and present yourself ready, willing, and approved. Muscle up and present yourself ready, willing, and approved. It is not enough for me to say I want to go. Once I say I want to go, hey, do you, there's a reason I don't go uh, hiking with you up the grouse grind. I'm not ready to do it. I don't have the shoes for it, and those are the smaller excuses. But if I say that, yes, I want uh, to take the top of Grouse Mountain, then I'll have to muscle up, I'll have to present myself ready, willing, and approved. It's one thing to desire something. It's another thing to be approved for it because you're ready. So here are four categories that I pray God um, we'll remember. And um, one, in, in, in every church there are people who are able and available. This is a rarity in most churches, eh? Able and available. But fortunately, in this church, I'm surprised at how many are both able and available. This is usually a rarity. The second category is able and unavailable. This is the most common category in churches. And there are valid reasons, perhaps. But valid reasons aren't right reasons. They are just valid. Um, able and available is one category. Able and unavailable is the second category, where you are able, you really want to, you're able, but you're not available. That's the most common category. The third category is unable and available. 
And if you're unable and available, then it is the responsibility of the leadership to make you ready. Responsibility of the pastor and the leaders to make you able. What normally happens in churches where people are not able is that pastors just frown at them, put them on the side, make them do the ushering, and then move on with guys who are better. And that is completely wrong. If I'm available and I'm unable, it is then the leader's responsibility to make me able. And then there's the last category, and the last category is unable and unavailable. This is not Christian, and if this is someone's condition, then someone must question whether they're Christians. Because as a Christian, you can't be unable and unavailable. They just don't go with your Christianity. These are the four categories that we fall into. All these three can be worked with. This one can't be worked with. Guys, in Luke 14, 28, when Jesus says, count the cost, he wasn't really saying, count the cost, and once you decide, then you can follow me. His intent was to convey that no matter the resources that you have and that you may lay down, I want you to know that your assets are insufficient to do what I'm asking you to do. (laughs) That's more along the lines of what he was saying. He wasn't saying, Jacob, count the cost and then decide if you can follow me. He was saying, count the cost and you'll find out that regardless of how much you lay down, (laughs) what you have just ain't enough to follow me. And therefore, alternative action is required. And what is that alternative action? that of considering everything in life of less worth compared to following him. I remember saying this long ago, live as though condemned to death, unaffected by the things that the living crave for. Live as though condemned to death, unaffected by the things that the living crave for. Live as though condemned to death, unaffected by the things that the living crave for. Live as though condemned to death, unaffected by the things that the living crave for. Where one begins to renounce one's primary allegiance and rearranges one's loyalties. That, Father, this is the thing that I was taught to pursue, but this is who I now pursue. Then this category becomes alive, able and available. I'll stop here. We'll conclude with that song which says, in the crushing, in the, the uh, what's that song called? Yeah, new wine. New wine, yeah. And true wine. Both, both are fine. Yeah. So any questions before I ask my last question? Any questions? Can you speak a little louder? Yeah. Okay, if you fall into the third category, then it's my job to make sure that you're made able. If you fall into the second category where where you're able and unavailable, then um, all you can do is try to take the horse to the water, sprinkle salt in the oats, 
and see if it'll feel thirsty at some point. Because if you're unavailable, there's nothing one can do to make you available. It's a decision that you have to make. Guys, the only reason we are unavailable for something is one, because we are physically not capable, or two, because we have other priorities. I wish there was some other spin I could put on this that would make it more palatable. And there's nothing wrong with other priorities. Remember, we are not talking about going out to different nations. All of us will not go to different nations. I'm just saying that one must be available for one simple thing. Through our jobs, through our motherhood, through our work in the kitchen, through our work throwing out the garbage, through our work in our lawns, through everything that we do. We have just one mandate that is common. Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. I will live the teachings of Christ out. I will proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. And I will rally everything in my life to serve Christ and the church. If this grabs us, then you don't have to go to Timbuktu. And if that grabs you, perhaps you are one who should go to Timbuktu. So we're not saying that if you make yourself able and available, we're going to pack you off to Izmir. Though I'd love to send you there rather than me go there. Because I heard it's not a very nice place. But the point is, it's not to pack you off somewhere. It is to say, Jacob, this is the only thing I live for. This is the only thing I live for. This guy just got a job, right? He just got a job in a new country, came and talked about it, testified to how good God is. Now that he has testified to how good God is, he says, Father, now that you've given me this job that seems impossible and I start off at the same place that I left and earn more, I just want to lay it down and let you know that if the wind can go where you send it, so will I. Count your blessings, renounce them one, one, one by one. Not recount them one by one. Renounce them one by one. This is what is being asked of us, guys. I just thrill at the fact that we cannot escape this. That's okay, Joan. <laughs> guys, any questions? Please, uh, and does it answer you? Uh, I mean, if, if you're able and available, there's... Uh, let's assume you are the one you're talking about, and I know it's not, but let's assume for a second that you're guilty. So you're able and you're unavailable. There's nothing I can do about it, nothing Kamal can do about it. We just have to wait till your priorities will shift so that you become available. And the great thing is we do not have the ability to do this. When I look at that list, on one hand, I can pat myself on the back and say, wow, what a great church. And then on the other hand, realize immediately that we do not have the ability to do this. We are too small in numbers. We don't have the money. We don't have the smarts. And then you have to worship saying, oh God, you are the one who opens doors that nobody can shut. You're the one who shuts doors that nobody can open. Any thoughts, any questions, guys? Does I pray God that it grips your heart, man. Yeah. I think anyone who is available and uh, available becomes very evident. You know, you have those kids in your class, they don't know a thing, but their hand goes up. 
<laughs> All the teachers started laughing immediately. <laughs> Every teacher in this room <laughs> just... Because the, the, there are these kids who, who don't know the answer, but their hands go up immediately. You know there is a willingness. They desperately want to be available, but they're absolutely un unavailable. They don't know any... They don't know the, and then it's the job of the teacher to help them. It, then it's your responsibility to spot it and encourage them. Guys, leaders have a tremendous part to play in this, where one has to go by not what you see, but what you see inside someone and extract it and raise them. We're starting the church in Delta on March 31st. We're starting the church in Maple Ridge, March 14th. I'm going to Hanoi, uh, March uh, 17th. Going to Lithuania, April 2nd. Going to Izmir, not me, you. <laughs> if God, if you think that this is something God has for you, let me know. And just because you let me know doesn't mean you'll be going. You'll have to muscle up and prove yourself approved. But it'd be so awesome if some of us went, some of us established things at home. Because your mandate is very simple. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Our stance is very simple. We steward what we have. And we keep advancing so that we may be fruitful. Yeah? Cool. Hey, do you want to just sing that song? And as we sing this song, I want you to ask this question. Are you able to rearrange your heart and your head so that These things grip you more than your job, your security, your possessions. Can you rearrange your heart and your head, your feelings and your thoughts, so that what grips you is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? What grips you is Delta, Maple Ridge, Izmir. Can you rearrange your priorities so that these things that we talked about grips you? Can you and I say, Father, for this I live and for this I die. Your purpose, your pleasure. That you no longer live for yourself, you live for Christ and for others. The intent is, oh God, can I proclaim and demonstrate the gospel so that others too, eight billion others made in your image, uh, can get to experience what I presently live. I just start singing, guys, because I won't stop talking.